in a manner that you would not ordinarily say them. Number four, a broken heart will make you cry all of your tears away. You will cry all day and all night till you just can't cry no more. Number three, a broken heart, now listen to this one, a broken heart will make you destroy some valuable and expensive things. Yeah, 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 it will. whole lot of cars have experienced a lot, a lot of tire loss. Uh, somebody wrote a song, A Few Windows, I Bust a Window Out Your Car. Yeah, yeah, yeah it'll, it, it'll make you do it. Number two, a broken heart will make the hungriest person, the person with the greatest appetite, lose all their desire to eat. As a matter of fact, if you want to lose some weight, just get somebody to break your heart. I guarantee you, you're going to drop some pounds. As a matter of fact, if you Google this today when you get home, you're going to discover that um, a broken heart is right there in the top list, right behind uh, Weight Watchers, Jenny Craig, Nutrisystem. Then comes broken heart. You're going you're gonna to lose some weight, yeah. And this is number one. Number one thing a broken heart will make you do, it will make you tell the person who broke your heart, I want you back. Now, I don't know everything about a broken heart, but I do know that when heartbreak occurs, someone who is loved very much, leaves. And the reason the heart breaks is because the person with the broken heart hopes and expects the person to stay. I want us to look at a movie clip from the movie This Christmas. Kind of illustrates this point. There's a character played by this heartthrob, Isdris, what's his last name? What's that name? Uh, oh, Lord, y'all, you got to yell at me. <laughs> I mean, I mean, <laughs> oh, Lord. He plays this character named Quentin. And Quentin um, is the oldest and the most rebellious of the siblings. And he comes home on Christmas Eve, and he's running from trouble that has been created in his life as a, of a consequence of his rebelliousness. And I want you to see in this picture um, what happens when we're rebellious and then his response to the unconditional love that is shown to him. You must think we're stupid. Honestly, yeah, I do. Yeah, we're gonna show you you stupid. Get his ass up. Get up. Money. He owes you money. 25 grand, right? 
That's ten right there. Take the money, and we'll just call it even, all right? Let's be joking, old man. Now you take this, or I start shooting. I'll ruin everybody's Christmas. Or I call the police, they'll be real happy to know both of y'all have warrants. You ain't tough guys, man. You bookies. To so take this. You stay alive, you stay out of jail. My gift to y'all. Huh? Merry Christmas. Can we have a gun back? Not in this lifetime. Stop mowing, do it, huh? Is that your way of giving me a spanking, Mr. Black? Quinn, let me tell you something. What you really have left at the end of the day is family. A real family, boy. That's my trade. I'll get out of here. Quinn. When you do the best you can and give the best that you have, and the person rejects it, often the result of that is a broken heart. There's a story in the Bible about a man whose name is Hosea. Hosea was a preacher whose heart was broken repeatedly by his wife who struggled with the issue of faithfulness. God told Hosea, that Gomer was the woman, was the wife for him. But instead of the marriage resulting in uh, matrimonial bliss, it ended up a monumental bust. Have you ever seen a relationship like that? I mean, it starts out, you can tell from the beginning, you know, the couple is hoping for matrimonial bliss, but you know this is a train wreck getting ready to happen. Just like any of us would have predicted, Hosea breaks his heart over and over and over again. I want you to turn with me to the book of Hosea, to the first chapter, and we're going to read the story, and then we're going to see if we can open it up and learn some lessons that will help us hear what God might be saying to us. Hosea is in the Old Testament section of the Bible, which is the first section, and if you can find the book of Psalms, after the book of Psalms is Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, then Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. Or you can go from Malachi back. It's 12 books from the end of the Old Testament. But if you can't do any of those, just turn to the front and find a table of contents, and it'll tell you what page <laughs> Hosea is on. But whatever works for you, you know, you know, uh, the first chapter of the book of Hosea. And here's how it reads. And so it's this love story that unfolds here. This is the message which the Lord gave to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the time that Isaiah, 
Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were the kings of Judah. And Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, was the king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke to Israel through Hosea, he said to Hosea, Go and get married. Your wife will be unfaithful, and your children will be just like her. In the same way, my people have left me and become unfaithful. So Hosea married a woman named Gomer, the daughter of Diblium. And after the birth of their first child, a son, the Lord said to Hosea, name him Jezreel, because it will not be long before I punish the king of Israel for all the murders his ancestor Jehu committed at Jezreel. I am going to put an end to Jehu's dynasty. And in Jezreel Valley, I will at that time destroy Israel's military power. Gomer had a second child. This time, it was a daughter. The Lord said to Hosea, name her unloved, because I will no longer show love to the people of Israel or forgive them. But to the people of Judah, I will show love. I, the Lord their God, will save them, but I will not do it by war, with swords or bows or arrows or with horses or horsemen. And after Gomer had weaned her daughter, she became pregnant again and had another son. And the Lord said to Hosea, name him not my people, because the people of Israel are not my people, and I am not their God. And I want you to know the shift that takes place here in verse 10. The people of Israel will become like the sand of the sea, more than can be counted or measured. Now God says to them, you are not my people, but the day is coming when he will say to them, you are the children of the living God. In this story, if you read the entire book of Hosea, but you can see it also in the first chapter, Hosea's wife cheated on him repeatedly. But no matter how many times she left him, he went and he found her and he told her, I want you back. After their first child was born, she chose the street life over a safe and secure life. But after she left him for the street life, Hosea goes and he finds her. And he tells her, I want you back. She has two children. And of course, in biblical days, they did not have the benefit of a certified paternity test. There was no Mari Povich show to go and discuss the matter and and get the results of uh, a DNA test. But the rumors were that these last two children were not Hosea's children. But even after this, her choosing the street life, the possibility that these children are not mine, her constantly leaving him for men of lesser character and intention, he stands by his marriage vows and he tells Gomer, I want you back. And God is saying to Hosea, the way that Gomer has made you feel is the same way I feel. The same way that Gomer has treated you is the same way my people treat me. He says, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, Hosea, just like you have a broken heart, God is saying, I also have a broken heart. He said, you have offered the very best of what you have. 
and you have delivered that to your wife, Gomer, and yet she has rejected you. God is saying, I have offered the very best of what I have to my people. And yet, after having delivered the very best of what I have, my people have still rejected me. I have promised them love, but they rejected me. I have delivered on the love that I promised, and yet they rejected me. I offered them peace, but they rejected the peace that I bring for the pleasures of this life. I promised them joy, but they constantly choose junk over joy. And I guaranteed them blessings, but they refused to believe that I would come through. So just, but notice, just like Hosea refused to give up on Gomer, God refuses to give up on us. Now listen, we've got some good men here at the fountain, wonderful men. Yeah, go ahead and Let's thank God. Yeah, we, we, we have some, some great brothers here, some great men here. But almost any regular man, any regular guy, any normal brother, plenty of testosterone in his body, most guys, let me just be honest with you, most guys would have left Gomer over much less than this. Amen. I mean, just let the credit card be overdrawn one too many times. Amen. It it, it would not have taken this degree of infidelity for most of us brothers. Amen. Y'all look at me, me like I'm crazy, but I know I'm right. To make a decision that I am out of this marriage. But Hosea is far from being a regular guy. Yeah, he's not, he's not cut from the same piece of wood that most of us are cut from. As a matter of fact, Hosea has an almost indescribable capacity for patience. He has seemingly this unlimited uh, ability to love. He can somehow push his own hurt and pain to the bottom and he can raise up the needs of the one that he loves so that the needs of the one that's hurting him is more important to him than the hurt that he is experiencing. Most of us cannot ever get beyond our own hurt and our own pain to see the deficits and the lacks that are in the one that's perpetrating hurt and pain on us. And I want to say that Hosea is patient. Somebody say patient. The Old Testament word for patient in the King James Version is long-suffering. He can endure a great deal of discomfort, both emotionally and mentally. Hosea has the ability, look at this, he has the ability to keep on helping the person who is actually inflicting hurt on him. I told you he was not an ordinary guy. Yeah, and so what God is saying to us and what God is speaking to us is that he's saying, I am very much like Hosea. God is saying to us that even though my heart is breaking and my heart is broken, I am not giving up 
on you. And God is saying, now most of us, when we have a broken heart and we get rid of the person who broke our heart and we get rid of all the person's stuff that broke our heart, all the pictures, all the trinkets, any reminder of the person that broke our heart, we resign ourselves to this. Some of us have said this, well, I'm just going to wait until the right person comes along. Y'all ever heard that before? I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to wait. I'm not going to fall for any of this monkey business, okey-doke, any of this foolishness anymore. I'm just going to wait until the right person comes along. But God kind of deals with this in a different way. Even though God's heart is broken and shattered, God, does ne- God never looks at us and says, I'm going to wait until the right person comes along. As a matter of fact, God never changes his mind about how he feels about us even if we reject him and depart from his love. As a matter of fact, God says, I already know who the right person is. Even if the right person does not know who he or she is, I know who the right... God is saying to us, you are the right person for me. Irrespective of what you do, he never changes his mind. Listen, here's one of the points for today. No matter what we do or how far we drift away from God, God's response to us is always the same. I want you back. And when we've drifted and when we've walked away from him or turned our back on him or chosen other things instead of him, God spares nothing to communicate to us just how bad he wants us back in his fellowship. Now, Let's not ignore the fact that a broken heart would do some strange things to us. Now, a broken heart in the midst of your heartbreaking will make you say what you won't do anymore. Some people have been in a marriage, had a broken heart, and they said, well, I'm never going to get married again. Some have had their heart broken, and they have said, Well, I'm not going to tolerate this. I'm not going to deal with this anymore. They're going to say, I deserve better than this. Some are going to start quoting movie titles. I can do better. What? All by myself. Broken heart make you say things like, well, I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm finished. Broken heart will make you... Tell the person who broke your heart, get to stepping. You ain't got to leave, but you got to get up out of here. Why don't you just go? If this is how you're going to treat me, if this is how you feel about me, if this is how you're going to respect me, why don't you just go? And this is what God says in the midst of it. You read verses 4 through 9. He's telling Israel, I'm done. I'm finished. Uh, I I can't take this anymore. All this vacillation, all these roses on Monday and rough living on Tuesday, it's messing up my psyche. 
And God is saying, you know, I I don't know how to deal with. You remember in the Ten Commandments when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments? God reveals this kind of human quality about himself when he tells Moses, he said, listen, Moses, I need you to let the people know this. I got this certain kind of little quirky thing about me. He said, will you tell them not to make any graven images, not to build anything, not to have any other gods before them? He said, because, he says, he said, here's this one thing about me. He said, because the Lord, their God, Say he is a what? He's a jealous God. In other words, when I, God is saying, when I fall in love, I just don't deal well with being replaced, being misplaced, being ignored. He said, when I give myself, I want to receive 100% of the affection of the one that I'm giving my affection to. And so in his anguish, God says, I'm done. He said, just like I could imagine Hosea saying to Gomer, after Gomer had been such a blessing, if you want to take Buddy down at the bar over me here at the crib, well, go on then. But then something happens. Look in verse 9. God is going through this sort of, this venting thing. And it says in verse 9, the Lord says to Hosea, name this child not my people. Because the people of Israel are not my people and I am not their God. He gets it all out. And then all of a sudden, it's like he starts pumping his brakes when he gets to verse 10. And the whole mood shifts. And in verse 10, he says, the people of Israel will become, look, 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 look. I don't want to have anything to do with them anymore. And then all of a sudden, they will become like the sand of the sea. I'm going to bless them. And then he says, more than can be counted or measured, I'm going to expand them. And then he says, and now say to them, those who are not my people who left me, abandoned me, turn their back. Say to them that the day is coming that you will be called the children of the living God. And what he's saying, I can see, though our relationship is broken right now, I'm not giving up on this relationship. Somewhere, look at God is saying, somewhere out there in the future, this thing is going to be repaired. Here is what I want us to remember today. God, listen, God loves us and pursues us even when we are at our very worst. It is human to pursue when a person is at their very best. But God loves us and he pursues us. You see, the church has failed in how we communicate the love of God because there have been so many people who have been at their very worst who have received criticism and condemnation from the church. But what the church needs to learn how to communicate that God turns up the heat on his search and rescue mission. When we are at our very worst, that's when God really gets it going. God spares nothing to let us know that he wants to win us back. Three quick points and we're going to close this message. You all still here? Is this making any sense? All right, three quick points. First, the voice of the Lord is difficult to hear. When life is happening. In other words, 
There's a whole lot of stuff going on in your life. And the stuff going on in your life always has the ability and the potential to drown out the voice of God. And sometimes, another way of saying that, the reason we can't discern what God is saying to us because the other stuff that is happening is louder than God's voice. Now, let me see if I can make this clear. Verse 1, because this is an added factor. Verse 1 says, this is the message which the Lord gave to Hosea. Somebody say Hosea. The Lord gave to Hosea, the son of Beery. Notice that the text does not say that the message comes to Hosea and Gomer, but the message comes only to Hosea. Why? Well, here might be one possible reason. It is hard to hear God's voice when you are living in rebellion. I didn't say it's hard to hear God's voice in your imperfection, but it's hard to hear God's voice when you are intentionally and purposefully living your life outside of the will of God. Yes, a a, a rebellious life uh, inhibits our ability to hear the voice of the Lord. Number two. What God says to us may be hard to believe. In verses 4 through 9, we see that God says something that is kind of uncomfortable to to, to listen to. God says in verses 4 through 9, just to paraphrase it, God says that there are consequences to our rebellious behavior. Now, I would like the Bible much more. I I would like the Bible much more if it says that God, if it said God loves us and God eliminates any consequences to our disobedience and our sinful behavior. Now, that would be a book I could recommend for anybody. I wouldn't have any problem witnessing. I wouldn't have any problem getting people to read the Bible. I said, you need to read this verse right here. This verse says that God not only loves you, but God wipes out any consequences for any kind of poor behavior. Anyway, all that wrong stuff that you did, what God's going to do, he's going to just wipe out all the consequences of your poor choices, poor behavior, your rebellion and disobedience. But God loves us so much that God won't lie to us. Because that's not true. Um, there are consequences to all behaviors. There are uh, spiritual consequences. And there are sometimes physical consequences, and there are also social consequences, and there are relational consequences. Am I right about that? In other words, some of the things that I do are going to have a detrimental effect on the relationships in my life. Some of the things that I do may affect how I can flow socially. Some of the things that I do may impact my physical life. My physical life may be changed because of things that I did. And then some of the things that I do affect me spiritually. And so we hate to hear that, but that's true. 
Just like in the film clip when we see Clinton, I mean Quentin in the bathroom. The reason he got beat down in the bathroom was because the consequences of his behavior followed him in the bathroom. And let me tell you, my brothers and sisters, the consequences of our behaviors follow us. Are you with me? They don't always show up when you do what you do. Sometimes it's tomorrow. Sometimes it's next week. Sometimes it's next month. Sometimes it's next year. Sometimes it may be 10 years later. But we do have to deal with the consequences. Yeah. What God is trying to tell us is that life will beat you down. It will run you down, chase you down, find you out, and beat you up. When you live in rebellion against God. In other words, God is not trying to be in our life in order to keep us from having a good time. He is trying to prevent our lives from ending up in tragedy. And then finally, last point. Obeying God sometimes hurts. Just try to be honest. Obeying God sometimes hurts. Sometimes it's painful. Doing what it is God would have us to do is sometimes painful. Hosea's obedience had to be painful. There's no way person with a heart, loves like that, can watch his wife, betray him, be unfaithful to him, leave him, parent, children, or give birth to children that are possibly not his, and, and he continued to pursue her. It's impossible to do that without feeling pain. Yeah, it's not a painless experience. It's full of pain. And sometimes doing what it is God wants us to do means to endure the pain that comes along with it. In the movie clip that we just saw, the gentleman who came to rescue Quentin, his name was Joe Black, did you see that he gave the crooks $10,000 of his money to try to rescue his stepson that had been in rebellion against him? Let me just say something to us. Whenever relationships are made right again, there's a price that has to be paid for that reconciliation. It costs God to win us back to him. In other words, God sought us and pursued us, but in order to win us back to him, it cost him something. The Bible says that Jesus came into this world. And the reason that he came into this world was to pay the costly price to get us back in relationship with God. As a matter of fact, so much so that so many of the books of the Bible talk, of, talk about this high price that has been paid. The book of 1 Corinthians says this, don't you know that your body is the temple 
of the Holy Spirit and God dwells with you. And then he says, but don't you know you cannot keep living like this because you have been bought with a price. And on another occasion, it says, we have not been bought with some uh, cheap exchange currency like the blood of sheep and the blood of bulls and the blood of goats. I said, oh, no, uh, that, that won't even put a down payment on what God did. He said, but we have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ as a lamb without a spot or a blemish, a, 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 an expensive gesture was made on the part of God to try to convince us how bad he wants us back. You know why he wants us back? He wants us back and he's willing to endure the hurt and the pain that comes along with communicating that because God knows that if he's not in our life, that our life will end up a tragic story. Yeah, it, it, it will end end in tragedy. But I want to show you one last film clip that will show you, I want to show you, give you a glimpse of how it's supposed to end. All right, let's see the last clip. Joe, you got everything you need? Try to call me and Sandy because I made them. Oh, you might not want to do that. Girl, she only been in the family a hot second, and you already trying to kill her. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? I don't know. Whoa. Oh, my God. Quentin. Come on here, man. I'm just standing there. Come on, get some meat. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Yo, look right. at this. <laughs> Yeah, sit right there. No, man, I want you to sit right here. Come on, man. Oh. What? Love soldier. Ain't that nice? Oh, this moment calls for a toast <laughs> to my family. I am just so proud of all of you. And each Christmas brings something different. This Christmas, Lisa, I lost a son-in-law. Hallelujah. <laughs> but I gained a wonderful daughter-in-law, and my oldest son is home. And as each one of you go into your individual lives, I want you to take this with you. The Whitfields are a family. We will always be a family. And no one and nothing can change that. You know what? I want to add no. something to that. Hold on, hold on. I'm going to get myself a drink. Somebody fix me a plate, please. <laughs> <laughs> I got to make a toast to Joe Black. And the rest of my family. I love y'all. Yes. Love you. Look, since everybody's making toast. More than yes, come here. I just want to say that I hope that every future Whitfield Christmas is as wonderful as this Christmas. This Christmas.
got to stop these things at the right time, you know. <laughs> Y'all start your own soul train line in here and we keep on. <laughs> well, th- this, this is how God wants the story to end. Our lives were not designed to end in tragedy, regrets. All of us in here or each of us in here can identify with Gomer. Maybe hard to identify with Hosea, but we can all identify with Gomer. All of us knows what it is to have God pursuing us and to be running from God, to be in a place that we know that God would not want us to be. All of us have recognized at some point in our life the influx and the continual dripping of God's blessings, even when we were turning our backs on him. Matter of fact, we know that God did not just start blessing him when we started blessing us when we started walking with him. We are very much in tune with the fact that while we were fleeing, God was running after us and that God was blessing us. And what I want you to understand today is that God paid a very high price for us to come back into a relationship with him. You know, human love has its limitations. If we're honest, there are times when we have to say, no more of this. This is it. This is the last time. I'm never going to put myself, no matter what, into this experience again. I cannot continue any longer with you in a relationship. Human love has its limitations. But let me see if I can illustrate the difference between our love and God's love. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 tries to tell us, it says that God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were in the process of breaking his heart, while we were taking his blessings and throwing our nose up in his face, Christ died. In other words, he gave his very best when we were treating him our very worst. And so this gift of Jesus Christ has been given for the one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to prevent our lives from ending up as a train wreck. And so here's the thing. Here's what church is supposed to be like. Whenever a person decides that I am going to accept the love that God is trying to communicate to me, then life instantly becomes a celebration. 
You know, I struggled with whether we would show the soul train line in church because we have so many church people sometimes that get offended when you show anybody celebrating. Amen. But you see, that's what it means to be in relationship with God. It means to live life in a continuum of celebration. As a matter of fact, the images that are painted in the Bible about what it's going to be like to be fully, fully in the presence of God is the image of a continual celebration. Our foreparents uh, would describe it like this. When we get to heaven, we're going to praise God forever and ever and ever and ever. They did not think of it uh, in a limited sense that I'm going to one day, maybe in the third millennium, get tired of praising God. What they were trying to say, that once I'm fully in his presence, there will be no interruptions to my giving God thanks and praise. In other words, it's going to be a constant celebration. I'm going to see others who are in relationship with God. And when I run into them, I'm going to give them a high five. And I'm going to be saying how glad I am to see you. And we're going to rejoice in the fact that we have been beneficiaries of the high price that God has paid to woo us back. We once were running away from God, but he paid such a high price. And I'm so glad I accepted the love that he demonstrated towards me and and so what church should be like is this is that it's the it is it is the realization somebody say realization it's the realization it's the realization that I don't have to wait until Rain's funeral home or I don't have to wait until I'm in the hospital and I, and I tell uh, my survivors, call the rest of the family. I'm getting ready to transition. I, I, I don't have to wait until I transition from a sickness to death into heaven. I don't have to wait until I walk on a street of gold or see a river of crystal or see a tree there that has leaves on it for the healing of the nation. I don't have to wait until I see a gate of pearl. Uh, three gates in the east, three in the west, three in the north. I don't have to wait until I see a multitude coming all dressed in white. I don't have to wait until I transition in order to begin to celebrate what God has done for me. As, as a matter of fact, as soon as I am fully conscious of the fact that God has rescued my life, that God has chased me down and blessed me in the midst of my waywardness, right at that point, the celebration begins. As a matter of fact, my life becomes one big celebration. No wonder the psalmist said, praise the Lord in the sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. And praise him for his excellent greatness. Praise him upon the cymbals. And praise him on the high sounding cymbals. Praise him with the tambourine and the dance. But if you can't sing, if you can't dance, 
If you cannot play an instrument, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Anybody present today that's celebrating what God has done for you. Did God chase anybody down? Did God bring anybody back? You ought to celebrate it. You ought to celebrate. Your life is a life of victory. Go ahead and celebrate what he's done. Hallelujah. Everybody stand on your feet if you will.